0: From New York, this is Democracy Now.
1: This is where people in Gaza used to flee from the northern and the eastern parts, seeking safety. This is Gaza City, the center of Gaza City, where people used to consider it safety. This is just to prove that there is no place safe in Gaza.
0: Hospitals are going to be turned into graveyards. That's the warning from the International Red Cross about the dire situation in Gaza, where Israel's massive bombardment has killed over 1,350 people, including 326 children. Much of Gaza is without electricity, and supplies of food and water are dwindling amidst Israel's devastating siege imposed after Hamas's surprise attack on Saturday that killed over 1,300 people in Israel. We'll go to Gaza for the latest.
2: Come and see how the Palestinians are struggling in Gaza now. We no longer have the basic needs for life here. Life has ended in Gaza. The Palestinian residents in Gaza are in unworth shelters, but they have no water, no electricity, no bread even.
0: We'll also go to Tel Aviv to speak with a leading Israeli human rights attorney. He writes, Israelis must maintain their humanity even when their blood boils. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Gaza's humanitarian crisis is deepening as Israel continues to pummel the besieged Palestinian territory with air and artillery attacks for a sixth straight day, reducing whole neighborhoods to rubble. Gaza's Ministry of Health says Israel's attacks have killed more than 1,350 Palestinians and wounded more than 6,000. More than 320 children are among the dead. Survivors have been seen searching the rubble of their homes for lost possessions and food.
2: We left our homes thinking we would return in an hour. We left our belongings, money, food, and everything we owned. Now there are 50 people left homeless without food, drink, water, or electricity. I do not know how we will provide food for our children. I am searching here under the rubble for even the remains of lentils and rice, even a little for my children.
0: Israel's energy minister said no basic resources or humanitarian aid, including water, will be allowed into Gaza until Hamas releases hostages. His warning came after Gaza's only power station ran out of fuel, plunging the territory into darkness. The International Committee of the Red Cross warned in a statement, quote, as Gaza loses power, hospitals lose power, putting newborns in incubators and elderly patients on oxygen at risk. Kidney dialysis stops and x-ray can't be taken. Without electricity, hospitals risk turning into morgues, they said. The U.N. Agency for Palestinian Refugees, UNRWA, reports at least 340,000 Palestinians have been displaced across the Gaza Strip. UNRWA also reports Israeli strikes have killed nine U.N. staffers since Saturday, with bombs damaging 18 schools being used as makeshift shelters. UNRWA's headquarters in Gaza City was also damaged by an Israeli strike in Israel. The death toll from Hamas's surprise assault has climbed to 1,300, with 3,300 Israelis injured. An estimated 150 Israelis are being held by Hamas as hostage. Israel's former defense minister, the opposition party leader, and retired General Benny Gantz said he would join an emergency wartime government and war cabinet led by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and current Defense Minister Yoav Gallant. On Wednesday, Netanyahu said every Hamas member was a dead man, while Gallant said he would wipe Hamas off the face of the earth. The remarks came amidst widespread reports Israeli troops are massing for a ground invasion of Gaza. In the occupied West Bank, Israeli settlers killed at least two Palestinians today in an attack on a funeral procession for four Palestinians killed one day earlier by mass settlers and Israeli soldiers. Israeli troops have placed the entire West Bank on lockdown and have killed at least 27 Palestinians since Saturday. Meanwhile, Israel's far-right National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gavir said his ministry purchased 10,000 assault rifles, plus helmets and body armor, to arm settlers. Ben-Gavir was previously convicted of racist incitement against Palestinians and supporting a terrorist organization. Israel's army has blamed human error for a false alarm Wednesday that triggered air raid sirens in northern Israel and sent residents scrambling for bomb shelters. Israel's army initially reported a suspected infiltration from Lebanon into Israeli airspace. The alert came as armed groups continued to trade fire with Israel's army across Lebanon's border. Meanwhile, in breaking news, Syrian state television reports an Israeli attack has disabled the main airports in the capital Damascus and the city of Aleppo in northern Syria. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has arrived in Tel Aviv for emergency talks with Israeli officials. Blinken was greeted by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who thanked the U.S. for its support against the, quote, barbarians of Hamas. Blinken said 25 U.S. citizens are among those killed by Hamas. The U.S. has vowed to keep supporting Israel with aid and military equipment and warned Iran to be careful. Some reports have linked Iran to Hamas's attacks in Israel. Meanwhile, some Republicans are calling for an all-out annihilation of Gaza. This is South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. We're in a religious war here. I am
3: with Israel. Do whatever the hell you have to do to defend yourself. Level the place.
0: The group Jewish Voice for Peace has called for the U.S. to restrain Israel, writing, quote, The U.S. must work to immediately de-escalate to prevent the further loss of life and not fuel and exacerbate the violence by sending more weapons to Israel. There's only one way to end violence to address its root cause. Seventy-five years of Israeli military occupation and apartheid. We must end U.S. complicity in this systemic oppression, said the group Jewish Voice for Peace. And Ankara Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan condemned Israel's blockade of Gaza and its relentless bombing campaign as a massacre. Cutting off a city's water, electricity, entry and exits, collapsing its infrastructure, destroying all of its centers of worship from mosques to churches, as well as their schools— Preventing people from getting the most fundamental needs and bombing housing units where civilians reside. In other words, managing a conflict using every sort of embarrassing method. This is not a war, it is a massacre. On Wednesday, the Arab League convened an emergency meeting in Cairo where it called on Israel to immediately halt its attacks on Gaza for a return to negotiations with Palestinians. In Brussels, Belgium, leaders of the European Commission and European Parliament led a moment of silence Wednesday for victims of Hamas. The EU leaders did not mention Palestinian civilians killed by Israel. Landmarks across Europe were lit up in blue and white colors of the Israeli flag, the Eiffel Tower in Paris, the Bulgarian Parliament and the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin, where on Wednesday several hundred protesters defied a ban on pro-Palestinian demonstrations. Several protesters were arrested. Elsewhere, hundreds... In Vienna, Austria, defied a ban on protests to call for an end to Israel's assault on Gaza. The World Food Programs appealing for the international community to do more to help Afghanistan after it suffered two major earthquakes in recent days, exacerbating an already dire humanitarian crisis.
3: This is a disaster on top of a disaster, on top of a disaster, on top of a disaster. Currently, we have 15 million people who do not know where their next meal will come from. And the World Food Programme is only able to support 3 million people due to a massive funding shortfall. So we're really calling on the international community to support the Afghan people stand in solidarity and also support the World Food Programme.
0: International funding has steadily dropped after the Taliban takeover two years ago. The U.S. has frozen billions of dollars in Afghan assets in New York. The U.N. and other groups have also been restricted by the Taliban's ban on women aid workers. Here in the United States, House Republicans have nominated Majority Leader Steve Scalise to be the next Speaker of the House, following Kevin McCarthy's ouster last week. But Scalise doesn't appear to have enough support to win the 217 floor votes needed to secure the position. A number of Republicans have said they will vote for Ohio Congressmember Jim Jordan, who is also vying for the leadership position, or for Kevin McCarthy, again. During his time as a state lawmaker in Louisiana, Scalise spoke as a guest at a white supremacist group he once told a reporter he was like David Duke, without the baggage, a reference to the Louisiana politician and Ku Klux Klan leader. The House will not be able to resume legislative business until a new speaker is elected, including work on a bill to keep the government funded beyond November 17th. In labor news, United Auto Workers in Kentucky shut down Ford's largest plant as the union escalates its stand-up strike against the big three automakers, which includes GM and Stellantis, as well as Ford. The plant employs nearly 9,000 union workers who make some of the company's most profitable vehicles, including pickup trucks and SUVs. Meanwhile, in Canada, Auto Workers for General Motors ended their strike less than a day after it started after reaching a tentative deal over pay and pensions. And acclaimed Indian author and activist Arundhati Roy could be prosecuted in India over a speech he made in 2010 about the disputed and militarily occupied Kashmir region. A criminal complaint was first filed against Roy that year, accusing her of advocating for the secession of Kashmir from India. The territories partially governed by India and Pakistan, both countries, claim Kashmir in full. After 13 years, a top New Delhi official has reportedly approved the case to proceed. Arundhati Roy's two other co-defendants have since died. Many around the world have come to Roy's defense, condemning her targeting as an attempt to silence Roy others who are critical of the far-right Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Roy recently attended a protest in New Delhi in response to the coordinated police raids on the homes and offices of dozens of prominent Indian journalists. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman, joined by Nermeen Shea. Hi, Nermeen.
4: Uh, Hi, Amy, and welcome to our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world. The International Red Cross has issued a dire warning about the humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza, saying, quote, hospitals are going to be turned into graveyards. Israel is continuing its devastating bombing campaign while blocking all food, water and fuel from entering the besieged territory. An Israeli ground invasion appears imminent. Gaza's only power plant has stopped operating due to a lack of fuel. According to the United Nations, all of Gaza's 13 hospitals are only partially operational due to a lack of fuel and medical supplies. Gaza's Ministry of Health says at least 1,350 Palestinians have been killed since Israel began bombarding the territory after Saturday's surprise attack by Hamas. Meanwhile, the death toll in Israel has topped 1,300, including at least 200 Israeli soldiers. According to authorities in Gaza, Israeli attacks have killed at least 326 Palestinian children. The dead also include at least seven Palestinian journalists, 11 staffers at the UN Palestinian Refugee Agency, and four medics. Earlier today, an Israeli strike killed 18 Palestinians in the Nusseret refugee camp. Many children are now seeking refuge in the courtyard at Al-Shifa Hospital, which is considered to be one of the only safe places in Gaza. Remas abu Tabih is an 11-year-old Palestinian girl.
2: I have spent my 11 years in fear and anxiety. We left our home and stayed in the streets. There are planes. It's all scary. They are bombing us. Even while we're here, they are bombing us and we're scared.
3: As a 15-year-old child, I'm displaced from my home and came here to
0: Al-Shifa Hospital. We're sleeping in the hospital with nonstop bombing above us. I hope that the world will have mercy on us. That was Muhammad Halas, a 15-year-old Palestinian boy speaking in the courtyard of the Al-Shifa Hospital. Other Palestinians seeking refuge at the hospital called for the international community to help stop Israel's bombardment.
2: They slaughtered our children and destroyed our houses over our heads. And here we are in the streets and hospitals. They've demolished all the houses on us and on the children and toddlers and women. And here we are scattered. Let the world come and see how it is packed here. Dead bodies are stacked over each other. Children and toddlers. No country is able to control Israel. Where is the United States? Where is the rest of the world? Let them say something. You don't see how affected we are. We're homeless. We're destroyed. It's been five days with no food and water, and we don't know where to go. Children are everywhere, here and homeless. This is not right. Let the world support us. We are restless. We are poor people, the Palestinian people.
4: Israeli authorities are vowing to continue the siege of Gaza until Hamas releases the 150 or so hostages it seized during Hamas's unprecedented attack on Saturday. This is Yifat Zeler, an Israeli woman who fears six of her relatives, including a nine-month-old baby, were taken hostage.
5: It all started uh, Saturday morning, five days ago. And um, Around 9 o'clock in the morning, we lost connection with my family that lives down south in Kibbutz Niroz. When the military finally entered the kibbutz and went through their houses to look for survivors, they didn't find my aunt and uncle in their apartment, and they are considered missing as well. So... This is the situation, six members of my family right now are being held in Gaza. Time is rushing. There's a nine month baby and a three year old child and my aunt has Parkinson's disease. I want them back. We all want our family back.
0: We go now to Gaza, where we're joined by two guests. Masaba Butaha is a Palestinian poet and author, columnist, teacher, founder of the Edward Said Library in Gaza. His recent piece for The Washington Post is headlined, In Gaza, No One Can Believe Their Eyes. He's the author of the award-winning book, Things You May Find Hidden in My Ear, Poems from Gaza. And we're joined by Yusuf Hamash, an advocacy officer in Gaza for the Norwegian Refugee Council, he lives in the Gaza Strip with his wife and two kids. He recently posted his video showing the destruction of Gaza.
1: This is where people in Gaza used to flee from the northern and eastern part, seeking safety. This is Gaza City, the center of Gaza City, where people used to consider it safety. This is just to prove that there is no place safe in Gaza. You can see. Instruction is everywhere, where the people can go, where we should go.
0: That was Yusuf Hamash, advocacy officer in Gaza for the Norwegian Refugee Council. Uh, Yusuf, let's begin with you. Describe the situation. What does a total siege of Gaza mean right now, from the hospitals to the schoolyards where people are taking refuge? Describe it for us.
1: So the, the siege in general is nothing new for Palestinians who lives in Gaza. We are under the siege for more than 17 years. Then add to that these cycles of violence, the non-ending cycles of violence. This, especially this war, you cannot compare it with whatever we witnessed before. The massive bombardment that we see. Destruction everywhere. If you want to cross from a place to another place, you, it's like a maze now. You, could, you couldn't, we couldn't recognize the areas where we, when we move from a place to another place. Thousands of people get killed. Almost one-third population had fled their houses, seeking shelter at tunnels, which is now over. They are overwhelmed. It's all above their capacities now. People who are lucky to have some relatives living in some areas considered safe. I am really sorry. I don't think there is safe place in Gaza. But sometimes people look go in from a place when it's getting bombed especially from the north and eastern part of Gaza seeking more safety in the center of Gaza City the situation is unacceptable you cannot imagine again what we ever seen in Gaza and in the streets and the daily life of people who under this war we never imagined it before this is something a new level of devastating war in Gaza
4: Yusuf, could you describe, uh, given that devastation and the number of people who've been injured and displaced, what is the condition of the medical facilities in Gaza? The health ministry has warned that the health care system has truly begun to collapse.
1: So the, the the medical sector in general already had an issue because it hadn't been upgraded since more than 17 years because of the siege and the blockade on Gaza. Now, the, without the lack of electricity and the the number of people people who get injured, thousands of people injured, they are above the capacity of the of the hospitals. I was in Shifa Hospital and I, I saw how they were treating, trying to provide medical treatment for injured people in the corridors and the on, the hospital and the guard in front of the hospital, while it hosts also people are seeking children inside the Shefa Hospital. Now, with lacking electricity, this is affecting everything. This is the entire process of the medical system is affected, while it's already collapsing before. This is, this is it's a horrible situation. This is really horror. What we are seeing in Gaza now is really horror.
4: And what have you heard from Hamas about... Uh... Releasing the hostages or taking any steps uh, uh, to change the situation.
1: Unfortunately, until now, we didn't see anything in the horizon, either from the local or the de facto or even from outside the world. We don't see a real intervention from outside or inside. No one is, as a Gazan, I I live, I'm a Gazan, I'm a refugee from Jabalia camp. I don't have enough space in my head to think about the political situation and what they are doing now. All what we are thinking, trying to provide safety and shelter for our old children. We cannot provide our daily need without water, without electricity, no internet connection. To do this interview, I had to come from the northern part of Gaza where I live, where I'm hosted now because I had to flee my house to Gaza City in a church to find internet just to have a space to deliver the the message from Gaza. There is nothing in the horizon, either from inside or the outside, for a solution. And that's what makes us terrified. We cannot stay in this situation longer. With lack of everything in Gaza, within days we will have nothing in Gaza. Now we have no electricity, no water, no food, but then we will lack food and others.
0: Yusuf Hamash, uh, you have described the sound, the panic everywhere. Also, you are with the Norwegian Refugee Council, and you mentioned you came from the Jabalia refugee camp, which was bombed. If you can describe where was it bombed, how many casualties, and also, you're with NRC. Um, you have 52 staff members who live and work in Gaza. The U.N. Agency for Palestinian Refugees, UNRWA, says a total of 12 of its workers have been killed. How can you all function?
1: So first of all, to come from Jabalia to Gaza City to do this interview, it was literally a maze. Whatever in a street you go, and you will find destruction, rubble is everywhere. You will find people are trying to remove the rubble from here and there. It's it's a chaotic situation. Regarding our work as a humanitarian, even our staff and I believe other partners in Gaza, we cannot secure ourselves to start to interfere. And our role as a humanitarian organizations, the Norwegian Refugee Council, is to serve people who are forced to displace. Now we are trying to secure ourselves, which is rare. More, I, I, I don't have an accurate number, but I think the majority of our staff had to be fled, flee their houses, along with our a lot of, most of our partners here in Gaza, all the UN agencies. They can, yeah, we cannot secure ourselves to interfere. This is one of the immediate things that we need, an access to, for us as humanitarian to deliver assistance for people who are already in dire need. More than before this war, Half of the, more than half of the population was relay on humanitarian aid. We have one of the highest rates of unemployment rates on the planet. Add to that this circle of violence, people who were displaced with nothing. We need to serve these people. We are trying to, to evaluate how to interfere remotely with our partners, but until now, we cannot secure ourselves to start to deliver assistance for the others.
4: I'd like to bring in Mossab Abu Taha, who is also in Gaza, a Palestinian poet and author. He's a columnist, teacher, and founder of the Edward Said Library in Gaza. His recent piece for The Washington Post is headlined, In Gaza, No One Can Believe Their Eyes. He's also the author of the award-winning book titled Things You May Find Hidden in My Ear, Poems from Gaza. Uh, Musab, welcome to Democracy Now! Uh, If you could describe the situation around you and speak specifically about the impact of what's happening on children. You yourself have a seven year old daughter.
6: Well, in fact, I have three kids. Uh, the youngest is uh, three and a half year, years old. Uh, the situation hasn't changed. Uh, it, uh, it started, as everyone knows, uh, six days ago. Uh, the bombing de- never stopped. What is different this time is that every every hour you hear about the deaths of dozens of people. Just last night in a refugee camp, a shelter refugee camp, uh, about 15 people were pulled from under the rubber of their houses while they were sleeping inside, thinking that they were safe. I was born in that refugee camp, and now I live in Lahia. City Which is a city in the, the, the northern part of the Gaza Strip, and the bombing hasn 't stopped. I can see from my window plumes of smoke rising up in the sky, just covering if, every house that it crosses and the children of course are are victims I mean we, everyone in Gaza is a victim of what's happening and what has been happening in Palestine and in Gaza for for so many years, but the children especially had been the main victims of these terroristic attacks uh, whether it's the sound of the explosions, the lights of the explosions the uh, the shaking of the houses the the scenes on Facebook of so many limbless and uh, and beheaded people who were pulled pulled from under the rubble of their houses, just today I mean. Last night, my, my son, who is three years old, was sleeping, and there there was that bombing uh, in the area. And he woke up, and he said, who did that? And he said, let it, it stop. I mean, that was the first time he was asking me to do that, as if I was responsible for the bombing. So I have I have nothing to do as a father. I have nothing to do as a neighbor or as a son. We are helpless here. We have been helpless all our lives, while... The United States, unfortunately, is always stepping in to support Israel. And instead of trying to understand why what is happening is happening and to change it and offer solutions, they are just adding more fuel to the fire. How do you respond to
0: President Biden? Uh, Anthony Blinken just arrived, uh, in Tel Aviv and had a news, uh, had a, made a statement, uh, with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, um, who, say that terrorism uh, will not be accepted. Um, You have people like the far-right minister Bezalel Smotrik, who said Palestinians have one of three options, only either to immigrate or accept a life of subjugation to Israelis or die. Um, Can you respond to what has taken place and these statements?
6: Well, this is not uh, very shocking to me in fact uh, if if uh, if mr blinken could visit tel aviv and stay with the israelis there i'm i'm so sorry to say that the palestinian president cannot come to gaza and visit us because israel would deny him permit so there is a big difference between the supporters of israel the power the powers that are supporting israel and whoever is who whoever wants to support the palestinians whether in gaza or in the west bank i mean why don't they come here and listen to us I've never heard of any president coming to Gaza and talk to us as people, the way that they come to Israel. And they are not only talking to them, they are providing them with assets. They are providing them with weapons. And they are trying these weapons on us. And, and we, we have no option. I mean, where, where do we immigrate? We have been, we, we, we were born on this land. My, my parents were born in, on this land. My grandparents were born on this land. My great-grandparents were born here. But if you ask anyone in Israel, they would, most of them would tell you that their grandparents were, were born in, somewhere else. And even, I, I, I only have a Palestinian passport, which is really not very helpful when I leave Gaza, if, if I could leave Gaza. I mean, I remember one time when when I went uh, to the United States for the first time in 2019, I gave my passport to the the officer at the airport, and they said, oh, your passport is expired. And they were reading the wrong uh, date, because in Arabic, the dates are written from uh, right to left, left, uh, opposed to the English way of writing the dates from left to right. I I panicked, in fact. He couldn't read, he, he couldn't read that, that this is a Palestinian passport, this is uh, from an, Arabic, an Arab country, it's different from Europe and the United States. So where do we go? And, and Netanyahu on, on the second day of the escalation <laughs> asked the Palestinians in Gaza to leave. He said, leave now. But where do we leave and why should we leave? We, we have nowhere else to go.
4: Saab, uh, earlier today, a Palestinian official said that uh, Secretary of State Blinken will meet with uh, a Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas on Friday, that is to say tomorrow. Uh, could mm-hmm. you could you respond to that and what you think might come out of that meeting?
6: Well, unfortunately, President Mahmoud Abbas couldn't he- couldn't help with the situation in Gaza. I mean, if you want to help the Palestinians, uh, you should come to Gaza I mean, not necessarily these days. You could come send any, any officials to the Gaza Strip and listen to, to our desires, listen to our basic needs. I don't want you just to, to say I'm going to meet President Mahmoud Abbas, with all due respect. He is the president of the Palestinian Authority. I think they are just meeting him because they want to show the world that we are meeting with Netanyahu and we are meeting with the, the Palestinian president. But this is, not, this, this is not about it. This is not going to save our lives. Meeting with Netanyahu, I know they are supporting him economically, politically, militarily. But if he is going to meet with President Mahmoud Abbas, what is he going to tell him? Is he going to support him, send, send uh, food trucks, medicine trucks to the Gaza Strip? Israel did threaten the Egyptians that if they are going to send any trucks to, into the Gaza Strip, they, are go, they were going to bomb the trucks. And they did bomb the, the Rafah border crossing area, which led to Egypt shutting down the border crossing. And I, I did say in, in one, uh, one time that Gaza has been the largest open-air prison in the world. Now it has become, with the closure of the two border crossing between Gaza and Rafah, Egypt, sorry, and Gaza and Israel. Now it has become a prison cell with no window. <laughs> Um, Yusuf, we
0: have less than a minute to go. Um, if you can talk about what needs to happen right now. Um, the government media office has just released a statement mourning the delay in response to the relief appeal is turning the besieged enclave into a mass grave
1: be done in the immediately. We need to stop all of these massacres happening around us, and we need a longer-term solution. We cannot keep finding ourselves in this circle of violence. If I, I can keep calculating for an hour that what I witnessed from the escalation. Can, 2012, 2008, 2014, 2021, and I can keep calculating even the small escalation between them. We need a longer-term solution. The international community and the world leaders should stand ahead of their responsibilities, ensuring a longer-term solution for Palestinians who live in Gaza. It starts by Immediate stop with the, for this war, and then lifting the blockade and finding a longer-term solution for us. This is unacceptable. We cannot keep finding ourselves. They made us feel be useless in front of our children. I, I agree with my neighbors, but it's what, what we are going through is traumatizing us, and I, I really believe we need years to recover from what's going on now. This has to stop immediately.
0: Yusuf Hamash is advocacy officer in Gaza for the Norwegian Refugee Council. Masab Abu Toha is a Palestinian poet and author. We'll link to his new piece in the Washington Post. In Gaza, no one can believe their eyes. Coming up, we go to Tel Aviv to speak to a leading Israeli human rights attorney. Back in thirty seconds. <laughs>
4: Name عن دليل No يا No Tarry, طري Halib, حليب Ya, Halib,
0: Mother's Lullaby by Sabrine. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Sheikh. To talk more
4: about the Israeli assault on Gaza, the siege, and Hamas's shocking attack on Israel, we're joined by longtime Israeli human rights lawyer Michael Svard. He's an expert on international human rights and international laws of war. He represents Palestinian and Israeli activists and human rights organizations. He's also the author of the book, The Wall and the Gate, Israel, Palestine, and the Legal Battle for Human Rights. His new op-ed on Haaretz is titled, Israelis Must Maintain Their Humanity, even when their blood boils. Michael Savard joins us in Tel Aviv, uh, Israel. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, Michael, and welcome to Democracy Now! If you could talk about your piece uh, that you wrote for Haaretz, Israelis must maintain their humanity even when their blood boils.
2: Well, good morning to you and thank you very much for having me. Um, These are terrible, terrible days. Actually, quite a nightmare that we're living, living through. And my heart goes out um, to the previous interviewees from Gaza. Um, we have experienced a shock. Um, I have to mediate to you the sentiment in, in the Israeli public, in the Israeli society. Um, the attack on Saturday was a savage attack, um, targeting civilians going from one house to another in civilian neighborhoods uh, and killing, murdering um, women, children, uh, and elderly and, and innocent uh, people and also in the, uh, in the scene of the party killing hundreds uh, of people and um, and uh, the blood boils and the blood boils it's not just that the blood boils but also um, one feels a puncture in the heart a hole in the stomach and now the question is, what do you do with that? Um, with this confronting this inhuman uh, uh, attack? Um, do, you feel, do you fill the punctured heart and the hole in your belly um, with, um, with uh, cement, with concrete? Or do you fill, fill it with, um, with the warmth of compassion? Um, and I and I'm afraid to say that uh, many Israelis are extremely um, filled with rage and uh, desire for revenge. And I, as a human rights lawyer, and uh, in the last three decades, um, I have been uh, working tirelessly, dedicating my uh, professional career um, to protect the rights of everyone, and especially. Palestinian communities who are under occupation, under a regime of apartheid, and under the very cruel blockade in Gaza. Um, The only way that uh, I know is to put a cry to adhere to the norms of international law. And I have to say, I want to shout, but I understand that at this time there is very little space for a voice like that. And when I hear the leaders of uh, the state of Israel and, and the generals and their rhetoric suggests that things that in the past they denied that the Israeli army is doing in, in the, ongo- in the uh, cycle of, uh, of, of attacks on Gaza is now almost probably uh, an official policy targeting en masse inhabited areas. Starving people as a me, as a method of, of warfare. I mean, this is this is uh, um, if 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 what Hamas has done was a was a blatant war crime and. I mean, the, the legal term is war crime, but in, in fact, it's a crime against humanity, not in the legal sense, but in the, in the moral sense. It was an attack on everything that is human, to take hostage wi- women with their children, elderly men and women on, on, on wheelchairs. This is just incomprehensible. But now my, my government is waging an attack that seems to be um, using war crimes to, to uh, uh, retaliate on, on war crimes, and this is, this is definitely not what uh, should be done now.
0: As a lawyer, as an Israeli, um, as a, a Jewish human rights lawyer, can you talk about what collective punishment means? legally and morally. I mean, I think about the Pittsburgh synagogue, um, which was the worst killing of Jews in the United States in many years, this brutal attack this weekend, the worst killing of um, Jews since the Holocaust. Um, but the idea of the response being to attack a an area of land that Is the home to over two million people, in this case, two million Palestinians. If you can explain, when the shooter shot up the Pittsburgh synagogue, they didn't destroy U.S. authorities, his community, his neighborhood. They went after him. They tried him. Michael Safard, can you respond?
2: Yes. I mean, every. Every moral human moral system that I know um, rejects um, collective punishment, More, definitely modern ones. But also we find it in the Bible um, that, uh, uh, that uh, children should not bear the, the spoiled fruits that their fathers have eaten. I mean, there are many, many uh, commandments, uh, even in the Bible, which is a very old uh, system of, uh, of, of norms. Um, that says that people should individually be found responsible for crimes that they are committing. And of course, international law, modern international law, prohibits, with no exception, collective punishment. We have um, very clear language uh, written into the um, fourth Hague regula- uh, Regulations of 1907 and in the Fourth Geneva Convention of 1949, but I don't think I need to reference to um, to international treaties. It is something that every each and every one of us has to have as an instinct, as, an, as, a, as a as a as a as a moral uh, basic uh, principle. People should bear responsibility for their deeds and not their neighbors, and not their people, and not their sisters or brothers or mothers or fathers. And uh, and it's not the first time that Gazans are paying the price for things um, that are done by uh, Hamas, or by other uh, groups uh, in, in 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 the Palestinian society, and not only in Gaza, but also in the West Bank. I mean, this is uh, abhorrent, but this is uh, this is exactly uh, what's going on. And uh, and uh, under international law, it's a war crime to inflict to, to inflict uh, uh, collective punishment on, definitely on civilians.
4: Uh, Michael, I mean, more uh, uh, Israeli citizens were killed Saturday than during the entire second intifada of 2000 to 2005. As Amy mentioned, uh, uh, more uh Jewish people were killed uh then uh, 1300 over 1300 since the holocaust tony blinken a secretary of state speaking earlier today invoked the experience of his stepfather who survived uh, the concentration camps of auschwitz and dachau now if you could say you've said uh, you know it's very important to understand the context under which hamas's attack took place. Do you believe in Israel or elsewhere there are enough people coming out with your position condemning both Hamas's attack as well as uh, the occupation and Israel's response in Gaza?
2: There are people in Israel that um, um, that feel, that have the same sentiment that I've uh, voiced in my op-ed and, and, and I'm expressing here. But I have to um, I have to be honest. I mean, we're experiencing, experiencing now a huge setback. Um, I, I don't know when um, there will be space for, uh, for these kind of uh, messaging uh, in Israel or in Palestine, for that matter. Um, the, again, the, when the blood boils, people choose. Um, the, and, and this is probably a human feature, but it's not a good one humans have many many good features but they have a lot of bad ones and this is a bad one they want revenge as if a revenge would would bring back those the dear ones that 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 are gone and yes I in reference to um, to the Holocaust people um, in Israel uh, have a very um, special um, um, mental vocabulary and the events of Saturday have immediately triggered the scenes of pogroms in Russia and Ukraine of the 19th century, and and of course the Holocaust, and um, and the the threat of annihilation, which is of course irrational because we do we had a we have an army that had a huge huge collapse, and of course one that would be investigated and an amazing uh, 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 failure, and yet the Israeli army uh, is. Strong and Israel is not under uh, a threat of annihilation, and yet this is exactly what people feel, and one has to understand that in order to understand the Israeli sentiment. People are feeling under threat of annihilation uh, and um, and that is a part of our collective uh psychology uh, it 's not just benign it 's not just uh, uh, um, something that uh, we've grown into uh, by chance it 's something that is that is uh, injected uh, and indoctrinized, uh from early age. I'm not. Uh, I'm not different in that sense. I mean, I have to struggle with with uh, uh, making these comparisons, and uh, and and that allows the Israeli government and the Israeli army to do stuff that are just uh, that that uh, people should in a, in a normal circumstance object to.
0: How do you respond, Michael Safard, um, when you bring up the occupation not as a justification for what happened this weekend, but saying that it is essential to understand and to resolve at this point, that these are not two equal nations where one invaded another? In the midst of all of this, Israel is responsible for what happens in the West Bank and Gaza.
2: Yes, Amy. Context is important, but I want to I, I want to pause for a moment um, and say, context is important in order to understand the root causes and in order to think of what is the way out, what is the way forward. Uh, but sometimes content, context is brought as a means to mitigate the the horrific horrific nature of what has happened. So. While I am ready, and I will say some things about context, I do wish to say that what we've seen on on Saturday has no justification whatsoever. It's a crime, it's inhuman, and this is something that... Because every abhorrent crime in in, in humanity's history has a context, of course. So having said that, Yes, Gaza is under occupation, and it's not just any occupation. It's a it's an occupation uh, uh, coupled with a, with a cruel blockade, blockade that uh, put two more than two and a half million people for more than a decade and a half in a closed up area where Israel controls most uh, borders and the airspace and uh, the 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 goods that flow in and the people that go in and out, and Israel retains gaza on the verge of suffocation and this is inhuman and by the way in the line of those responsible for this blockade israel stands first but the line is long and it includes the western world that allows it i can't recall any other any other context in which the international community and the western powers allowed such a blockade on millions of innocent people and not came over with a plan to finish to to end it so occupation and yes uh... israel is the strong power here and yes israel is the one that maintains that blockade and uh... if you look in the last uh, decade and a half uh, it seemed like there was no reason for israel to change its policy america was fine with it europe was fine with it the u.n. didn't do much about it um, and um and I just hope uh, I hope from this very deep uh pit that we're in that it we will start now to i mean we're now in in the eye of the of the storm, so it is it is too early to say where we're heading. but i you know I don't pray I'm not a religious person, but I desire that maybe from this calamity we will start crawling out of that pit, and, 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 and we can try to do all these uh, um, trying to go through different roads. Eventually, the roadmap is, is right before us. It's international law. It's justice and human rights and respect for the dignity of all people and for their rights uh, and for their collective rights, for the right of self-determination. There will be no end for this, no end to bloodshed. There will be no end to the conflict without uh, adhering to the principles that humanity has adopted throughout its long, scarred history of man-made catastrophes.
4: And Michael, we have less than a minute. But My- if you could say something, uh, sorry to interrupt you, about the status of the Israeli hostages uh, who've been taken by Hamas, what do you know about them, uh, and what do you expect will happen? What do you know uh, about what might happen?
2: What, what, one of the what, one of the terrible things about. The, the hostages' situation is that um, Hamas would not provide any information about their condition. Um, and that is, uh, that is uh, an abuse, uh, a psychological abuse for the families. Um, they, I mean, I heard all kinds of uh, uh, statements uh, threatening to, um, to hurt them, uh, to kill them this is uh we, we i know very little and uh, unfortunately my friends in gaza who are human rights my colleagues in in gaza i'm not in uh i i'm i fear for them too and i and i and i don't know how they are if they are safe if they are alive um this is uh you know i, I just want to end with the following i my, my my grandmother my maternal grandmother was a holocaust survivor she hid in the Warsaw ghetto and then in the, in the Aryan side uh, of, of, of Warsaw for, for several years uh, with her mother and sister. And she wrote a, an autobiography where she wrote that probably the biggest challenge in the face of inhumanity, of being a victim of in, inhumanity, is to retain your own humanity. That's the biggest challenge. And in this area, there are so many victims, so many victims. And the challenge is that those victims that went through living hell uh, will retain their humanity.
0: Michael Savard, I want to thank you for being with us, Israeli human rights lawyer. We're going to link to your new article for Haaretz titled, Israelis must maintain their humanity even when their blood boils, speaking to us from Tel Aviv. Coming up, we speak with the Palestinian journalist Amjad Iraqi. Stay with us. It's Upon a City by Farah Suleiman. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Nareen Sheikh.
4: Palestinians and Israelis have grown accustomed to wars in the South in recent years, but the war that began in the early hours of Saturday, 7th October, is nothing like the others. Those are the opening lines of a new piece in the London Review of Books by our next guest, the Palestinian journalist Amjad Iraqi, who joins us now from London. The article is headlined, Get Out of There Now. Amjad is senior editor at 972 Magazine and a policy member of Al Shabaka. His latest piece for 972 is headlined, A Psychological Barrier Has Been Shattered in Israel-Palestine. Welcome to Democracy Now! Amjad, thank you so much for joining us. If you could explain why you think this invasion is different from the past the seventh October one, and what psychological barrier has been broken,
3: Thank you all for having me um I think there's no doubt that in many respects what we've been what we've been witnessing over uh, the past couple of days is what is being described as a game changer and the, there are two ways to kind of think about this. One is this kind of material and military uh, shift that has just occurred by the fact that Hamas broke out of the Gaza Strip, a besieged enclave, uh, both in terms of targeting the military infrastructure, but also the uh, massacres that happened in these Israeli southern towns that has really not only kind of broken this assumption of Gaza as this place that could maintain uh, Palestinians and engage Hamas, but has, showed, but has really shaken this psychological barrier that exists Uh, In Israeli society and the Israeli establishment, that the occupation is somehow sustainable, and that if they just keep uh, enforcing the institutions of apartheid, that if they keep pounding Hamas and the Gaza Strip as often as possible, that somehow that is actually going to bring them security, that is going to bring safety. And through that, they can then continue to claim that Israel is a democracy, that Israel is a safe place for the Jewish people. What we've witnessed with these atrocities that have happened. Uh, is a complete shattering of that. It is broken to Israeli society that the Palestinians are not some distant problem, that they cannot uh, keep having the boot uh, of their military apparatus upon them. Uh, Unfortunately, um, as Michel was uh, referring to earlier, I'm not sure how much this will have a lot of soul-searching and reflection, as right now we are seeing this complete desire to inflict uh, total revenge on the Gaza Strip, from the political establishment to the media all the way down. Uh, But I think that barrier that existed in the minds of Israeli society and the Israeli state that this system could work, I think has really been broken by this assault.
0: Uh, you write, mjed in your Plus 972 piece that these events will allow the most extremist elements within Netanyahu's far-right administration to carry out as much of their agenda as possible. Can you it, respond in particular uh, to what the finance minister, Bezalel Smotrik, and the national security minister, Itamar Ben-Gavir, convicted of supporting a terrorist organization and inciting hatred against Palestinians, what they want to happen now? And if you think that will become the dominant um, uh, actions of the Netanyahu government, the war government, as they're calling it right now, being bringing, bringing in um, uh, uh, others into the uh, into the government as well at this point.
3: So for it's no secret that the Israeli government now is really uh, primarily being led by a gang of far-right demagogues who have been very explicit for years, even before they arrived in office, about their ambitions for the Palestinians as a whole. Uh, and we're seeing that being put out in full force over the past few months since the government has been in place, through the enabling uh, and almost overt support of settler pogroms against West Bank towns and villages, and what is now eventually leading to the total expulsion of numerous Palestinian hamlets uh, and, and people uh in order to make way for even more settler outposts and to even pave the way for more uh, assertion of what they describe as really sovereignty. We've been seeing this really being expedited in full force. And now for the far right government, this massacre as atrocious as it is, is for them a historic opportunity. It is for them reinforcing this idea that the only solution to what they regard as the Gaza problem is either the complete mass destruction of the strip or to try to eliminate, rather than merely contain, Hamas's political and military apparatus. And if possible, and this is really one of the uh, most horrific potentials, is the potential that this moment could be used to try to expel masses of Palestinians out of the Gaza Strip. The far-right ministers are very explicit about this ambition, and they really are trying to mobilize Israeli institutions in order to implement that process. And while we're still in the throes of the storm, but we're already seeing that first uh, that first demand on their wish list being implemented in a way that our uh, Palestinian colleagues from Gaza were just describing. And there's a massive mutual interest, not just on the part of the far-right politicians, but also the Israeli military, which has been really humiliated by this massive breach of the Gaza fences, by Hamas completely subverting its intelligence or its uh, appearance of being able to know at all times what Hamas is doing. Because of this shattering, the Israeli military also arguably is in line with the political establishment of what to do with this. And time will tell where this leads, but we're already seeing this indulgence of revenge, not just from the Israeli institutions uh, themselves, but also the international community, including the United States, which is basically telling Israel to go ahead. And to actually justify that revenge and removing the political context without necessarily having to excuse the massacres, which they should not, but to nonetheless realize that this, there is no military solution to this issue. And the real problem in the end is this wider apartheid regime that is activating even when you don't have a war around Gaza, that is activating even on your so, so quote unquote calm. And this is the bigger issue that needs to be addressed.
4: And we just have a minute. But if you could say, uh, you know, everybody says, as you said, this was unprecedented that Hamas broke through this barrier. People say, uh, you know, they've been planning this attack uh, for a long time. What statement have they made um, since this uh, military assault on Gaza began? And what do you know of what they're uh, doing with the hostages and whether they're willing to release them uh, in exchange for, for Gaza getting some basic resources?
3: It's quite hard to say what the end game is entirely. Uh, in many ways, the assault also probably surprised them as much as it did the Israelis. Um, and right now, I think they're trying to, it seems like they're trying to figure out what kind of bargaining chips they have in order to gain certain uh, new kinds of agreements with the Israeli authorities, with the aid potentially of Arab states to try to mediate some kind of ceasefire that helps to meet certain Hamas demands. And they've been quite explicit about some of the things that they're seeking, which are long-standing issues that have existed even before this far-right government, including the issue of release of Palestinian prisoners, including provocations uh, and aggressions uh, around uh, Jerusalem, especially around the holy sites, uh, and also, of course, the uh, what's been happening in the West Bank under the Israeli occupation and settler violence. So these are kind of the big structural demands that are still at play, and it seems that Hamas is now trying to use tactically uh, the, basically what they have right now to kind of turn the tables. Uh, but this we have because we're seconds. still in eye of storm we're sure. because we're not because we're not uh, we're still seeing the midst of this. It's very hard to know where this is leading. Um, Palestinian journalist,
0: I'm Judd Iraqi. We thank you so much for being with us. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermin Sheikh.